Good morning. Welcome to Christ Church, a church about lifting lives, elevating Christ, a church for those who aren't here yet. I'm Pastor Andrew, and I'm glad that you are all here now joining us on our sermon series, the I Am sermon series that we've been tracking in and will continue with this morning. Whether you're on site, and of course for all of you who are joining us online as well, good morning. So glad to have you as part of Christ Church and our church family today. Thanks for being here this morning. We are in this Lenten season. We are in a season where we are tracking closer and closer to Easter Sunday. This is historically a season where Christians throughout time have taken a special measure of faithfulness, devotion, a chance to really look at ourselves and ask some meaningful questions leading up to the crucifixion and then Easter Sunday. This historic time and this legacy of Lent is a chance for us to really do some work internally as we do a lot of self-examination and examination as a church body holistically. That's part of the point and the purpose of Lent. To do that specifically this year, what we've undertaken as a church body is looking at Jesus, seeking to better understand him, particularly as Jesus defines himself. You see, we live in a world, we live in a culture where Jesus' reputation, if you will, precedes him. It goes in front of him. And more often than not, when we get to know Jesus, when we get to hear about Jesus, we bring with us certain presuppositions, assumptions based on what we've heard and experienced in our own lives. And so more often than not, we end up projecting onto Jesus an image of what we think or assume he should be like. That can lead to some sticky situations, though. And so we as a church body are stopping, we're hitting the pause button on that and taking the time to look inwardly and saying, what are the images that I too readily perhaps project onto Jesus and instead strip those away and allow Jesus to tell us who he is in his own words, who Jesus is according to how Jesus would define himself. To do that, we've been looking at specific statements. They're known as the I Am statements in the Christian tradition. They all come from one specific book of the Bible, the book of John. It's a gospel. A gospel is a firsthand eyewitness account of the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so this collection of, of sayings and phrases and experiences and stories help enrich our understanding of who Jesus is, and specifically, the I Am statements allow us to hear who he is in his own Words. That's why we've been narrowly focused on the Gospel of John. We've looked at a variety of statements uh, leading up to this morning. We've done, I am the light of the world. Uh, I am the gate. Uh, last week was, I am the good shepherd. Uh, this week, we're going to be looking at another one as well. To do that, I want to set you up with some context. Whenever we dive into the Bible, whenever we begin to look at the Bible, it's important to understand what we're looking at and a little bit of the context around it. So this morning, as we dive into the conversation, as we get familiar with this new I am statement, it's really important that you examine and know where it takes place. This is really big. It takes place in something called the farewell discourse, a big fancy way that theologians and commentators kind of frame this time and this last teaching that Jesus gives. This is the last teaching in the Gospel of John that Jesus gives just before his final arrest and his death and, and all the pain and hurt that's on the horizon for him. This farewell discourse happens somewhere after the Last Supper. That's the time where Jesus gives us the gift of communion, where Jesus gathers his disciples together and, and they experience communion together. Then Jesus gives them this teaching and then they head to the garden where he's arrested. And so what's weighing heavily on Jesus at this time is a lot of pain 
and a lot of hurt that's right on the horizon of his future. And he makes it known. As Jesus starts teaching this final teaching, it's very clear from the beginning and where he ends his teaching. He begins off talking about the pain he's about to experience, his impending death. It's really bad, hard, difficult stuff. And then the way he finishes the teaching is the same way. It's with persecution and pain, not only for him, but in fact for his followers, uh, you and me, frankly, not only the disciples who were there listening to him in the moment, but for us. Jesus begins and ends the farewell discourse with a whole lot of hurt. And it is precisely in the middle of the hurt that he slips in today's I am statement, which is in and of itself fascinating, and we'll talk about more later. What you need to know is this happens as Jesus' final teaching, and it is the bookends of pain and suffering on either side of what he says here. He says, I am the true grape vine, sometimes just shortened up to vine. I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. You have already been pruned and purified by the message that I have given you. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more fruit. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. All right, so he starts off with his big statement, I am the vine. And he begins to expand upon a metaphor, imagery that's helpful for us understanding exactly who he is. He's trying to tell us about himself, and to do that, he talks in the framework of horticulture. Okay, any green thumbs out there? Anyone like gardening, flowers? A couple of you getting excited, spring's on the way, right? Well, whether or not you have a green thumb, whether or not you actually like digging in the dirt and doing the whole garden thing, this actually helps us understand Jesus. And in fact, it is not new imagery. You see, when Jesus uses this grapevine and vines and trees and branches, and when he uses that imagery, that of a garden, it is not new imagery to the disciples who are listening to him. That in fact, for those of us who have an understanding of the Jewish faith, okay, so if you dip back into the Old Testament, that is before Jesus' time, his life, death, and resurrection, if you go back to the first part of the Bible, it is rich with all sorts of garden imagery. It's important for us in today's modern times to understand some of us are distanced from gardening, and, and that would not have been true at the time of Jesus Jesus, as he's using this garden imagery, and in fact, before Jesus in the Old Testament, garden imagery in farming was the mainstay of life. It shouldn't surprise us that Jesus picks up on this garden imagery, considering that creation and the creation story itself begins in a, Adam and Eve were made in a garden, right? That in fact, the Jewish story evolves from a place of the Jewish understanding of garden. And in fact, it carries on from there. If you get into later parts of the Old Testament, you get to know the, the prophets, famous men and women who spoke profoundly about God. And they pick up on the same imagery. 
In fact, as they anticipate the arrival of the Messiah, they will refer to the Messiah as the root of Jesse, the root of Jesse. That is to say that he will stem from, his, he will be rooted in the line of David, no, other famous people. The point is that they're picking up on this imagery. Eventually, the prophets would harness it so much so that God would be referred to as a gardener and that Israel, the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, would be understood as the tree or, or the vine and that God would tend the vines in his orchard, that God would have an orchard or a vineyard and he would take care of it. That was the image that was used for God caring for the entire nation of Jewish people. Now, by the time you get to the New Testament, you get into Jesus' time, and even beyond, you get to, example, the uh, Apostle Paul. He's a famous guy in the New Testament who actually wrote a great deal of letters that are, that is, that's in our Bible. He, he picks up on this imagery. He himself was Jewish, and so he draws on this, and he will describe in a, a famous book called Romans, in the latter part of Romans, he will describe the church and God's people as being grafted in to the Jewish vine, the Jewish tree. And he's picking up on the same imagery. Elsewhere, he'll talk about in a famous book called Galatians, the book of Galatians, he'll refer to the fruit of the Spirit. You ever heard of that before? Maybe some of you have bumped into that before. The fruit of the Spirit. And it's all calling upon this very rich and complex metaphor that has to do with garden imagery. So Jesus is using something that the people would have known and understood. Jesus is a really good communicator. He's a really good teacher. And he's calling upon this specific metaphor to give us, his followers, a sense of who he is. He continues on. He says, yes, I am the vine. You, that would be you, are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my Father. Now, this second part that we just looked at, there is one word that throughout Jesus' teaching appears over and over and over and over again. I kind of gave you a hint because I highlighted it. What was the word that you heard repeated many times? It was remain, remain. Jesus says you need to remain in me, the true vine. The Greek word for that is meno. Everybody say meno. Meno, good job. You're getting really good at this Greek stuff we're doing every Sunday. Meno. And that Greek word has a rich diversity of translations. It can mean things like remain. It can also mean to exist, have your being, dwell, reside, to be connected to in such a way that you derive life. Jesus, in saying, I am the true vine, is not just simply saying, I'm, I'm a branch somewhere, I'm a vine somewhere. He's making a bold statement about what it means to be connected to the very source of life in this world. 
And he says, look, 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 I am the source of life. From me flows vitality. From me full, uh, flows the, the fullness of the human experience. From me stems life itself. And so you need to remain connected. You need to be remain a part of. And that, in fact, when you distance yourself from God, when you distance yourself from Jesus, when there's a break or a severing, that life actually retracts, it lessens. There, there is a withering that happens when you disconnect from the source of life. We have all experienced that in one way or another. Have you ever made a decision in life that was perhaps what you might say contrary to what God might want? In doing so, I am pretty much guaranteeing that life in some way retracted. It's, there was a severing that meant and led to withering. When I'm cranky or hangry in my household, when I'm just ornery, my beautiful, stunning, and intelligent wife will look at me, and you know what she'll say? When's the last time you read your Bible? That's what she tells me. And she's right. Why? Because there's been a retraction, there's been a, there's been a severing. I have been disconnected from that which brings the meaning, purpose, and source of my life. And when that happens, I wither. There's, I'm less than who I aspire to be. I end up being someone that I actually don't want to be. And it's got to do with this disconnect that so often, so quickly happens. Jesus then, therefore, is exhorting us by saying, look, remain, exist, live. Live connected to me to experience the fullness of what life can really be. And when you find yourself struggling and disconnecting from me, there is going to be a withering a lessening of life. And it is that much more important, particularly in the difficult moments, that you remain connected and tied in to me as the true vine. Now, this is fascinating. This is important because of what we talked about earlier. We talked about how this happens within the context of the farewell discourse. We're on both ends of what Jesus is saying. It's all about the bad stuff. It's all about the hurt. It's all about the pain. It's all about the suffering. Jesus is talking about when things are bad, it is vital and important, particularly when things are tough. It is of the utmost that you remain connected to me as the source and giver of life, that I might sustain you and bring vitality to you particularly when things are bad. Don't miss how significant this is. When you become a Christian, things do not get easy. Life isn't perfect. When you begin to connect with Jesus, it's not that everything all of a sudden fixes itself. Jesus says, look, in the middle of the bad, in the middle of the difficulties... I will sustain your life. I will continue to be that which brings you true meaning and purpose and vitality 
in life. And in doing so, you can continue to bear fruit. The irony here is, for those of you who do have a green thumb and are gardeners, you know what really brings a lot of vitality to a vine? What really helps things grow? What is it that you spread all over the place that really brings life to the forefront and yields a good harvest? That would be a whole pile of manure, poop as my daughters would say. Yeah! That ironically, when life is full of a whole lot of poop, it can be the time in life that yields the greatest harvest. That if you remain connected to the vine in the most challenging circumstances and situations, it is precisely those moments that more often than not yield the greatest fruit. And so Jesus making this claim in the midst of, in slipping that in, this sandwich of difficulty and pain and difficulty and pain, and in the middle of that he says, look, remain connected to me. Because the frank reality is, when you begin to sever ties with me, in the middle of the bad, you will find life lessening and withering away. But if you remain connected to me, you will find life and vitality and sustenance. You will bear fruit. Now, this all sounds really good and really heady. This is all like, imagery stuff, your little brains have had a little good massage so far this morning, but let's get practical. What do we do with this whole thing? Jesus is the vine. Okay, that sounds great. Jesus is the source of life. All right, I'm living. Cool, great. What does it mean in an actualized way, a tangible, expressed way, to know and understand, to remain connected to Jesus as the source of life, as the vine, particularly when things are bad? Jesus, again, the good communicator, gives us further insight. He gives us the metaphor, and then he actually goes in, and, and it helps to explain it to us. He says this when he continues on in the conversation. He says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and I remain in His love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow, and this is my commandment, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, the word here in Greek is philio. From that word, you might get, for example, uh, the, the city Philadelphia, which is known as the city of brotherly love. That is to say that a more accurate translation in the Greek here is those whom are loved. The translators simply shorten that up to friends. Those whom you love comes down to, quite simply, friends. The point being, this is more about love. You are 
the ones that I love, if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are truly those, those whom I love. Since I've told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my commandment, love each other. So, to remain connected to Jesus as the source, sustainer of life and vitality has to do with, come on, love. Now, I'm not talking about feelings. I'm not talking about the squishy-wishy love. I'm not talking about that, 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 that sensible. I'm talking about actualized, self-sacrificing, genuine love that translates into your life in tangible, meaningful ways. That to remain connected to the source of Christ is to remain connected to and understand His love for you. It is to ground your identity, to ground your practice, the way in which you see yourself, the way in which you approach life in His love for you. It is allowing His love to be the context in which you live out your life, the defining factor that His grace and His mercy and His compassion and His love is for you. And you let that be the lens through which you now live your life according to the self-sacrifice that He made for your well-being. Even more than that, you allow that to usher into your actions that you recognize you are loved. And therefore, you begin to, in the same way, love others in tangible, self-sacrificial kinds of ways. You genuinely love your kids. You genuinely love your spouse. You put them first. You love your coworkers. You love your organization, your business, your marketplace. You love in the same way that you have already been loved and you live within the context of God's love. Particularly as you wrestle with difficulty, as you deal with challenges and pain and hurt, as you struggle with a marriage, a coworker, parenting, the business is going under, your spouse just got the diagnosis, your child keeps showing up in the principal's office, you're looking at your finances, you're living check to check, you can't make it work. When things are difficult, when you wrestle with body image, self-esteem, a sense of value, when you are stuck in the comparison trap of looking at other people's lives and feeling like you always come up short, it is in those moments where it is of the utmost importance that you let God love you. You let God love you. 
You let Him work and move and tend to you the way that a gardener tends to the vine. And in the same way, you then usher that into those places and spaces of difficulty that you actually love similarly. Loving your spouse, loving your kids, loving your employment, marketplace. You remain connected and sustained in life when you continue to live in God's love and allowing that to be the foundation upon which you experience life, as well as carrying that same love forward into the lives of others. And when you do that, you foster life. You produce good fruit. You allow Jesus to work in you and through you to bear fruit in the orchard. So, Jesus makes this statement so that you and I understand very clearly He is the source of life. And He desires that you remain connected to Him as that source by being connected to His love and bringing that love into the lives of others. Amen, good? Let's close in prayer. Please pray with me. Gracious Lord, we give you thanks this day that in your kindness and in your mercy, in your love, you would look upon us you would see us and cherish us. You would work for our good and our well-being. You would self-sacrifice. You would put us first and love us. Thank you. We live in that love this morning, and by doing so, we seek to connect ourselves, dwell within, exist and have our being within the context of your love, that we might experience life the way life is meant to be experienced. We confess to you that too often we allow silly decisions or bad moves on our part to get in the way of that. We ask that you would prune the poor decisions out of our lives. We know that those things only lead, lead us to wither and, and lose life and vitality. We ask and we pray instead, Lord, that you would allow us to remain connected to you and your church and your kingdom and your purposes for this world. We pray that we would be those who carry forth your love, not only living in it and allowing it to frame our lives, but also to bring it into the lives of others so that more people could experience your love and experience life the way life is meant to be experienced. We pray and ask, Lord, that in your mercy and in your grace, in your love, you would allow us to dwell as part of your vine, connected to you. Help us see you and know you as the true vine this morning. We ask and we pray this, Jesus, according to the grace and the goodness that is found in your name. Amen.